ctgirl.com you click on the pictures and they're actually free videos that will automatically start playing for you if you enable the Adobe player it's free to do that and the videos will automatically start playing for you see just like that um, you can check out me and my friends by clicking on the links along the left um, and right here and you can see what the physical sexual side of me is about um, the naked side physically and the side that we all know exists in all of us you can also check out uh, what we do here on the naked truth by um, examining the living water page living water chapel page or the naked truth pages of my site and see what we do here and that's explore the spiritual side of me um, and that also exists in all of us whether we embrace it or deny it I believe and for me that boils down to Christianity in true Christianity actually hearing what Christ who it's named for has to say and letting Christ have the last word on any given topic um, since it's usually very very different than what people will tell you what preachers will tell you what you might believe yourself and even what other people in the Bible says um, so um, but if you're a Christian and going to call yourself Christian, why would you let anyone else have the last word other than Christ? So anyway, that's what we do here and that's what we focus on. And specifically the red letters, since of all the Bible, only six books have anything that Jesus actually quoted. There's only quotes of Jesus in six books in the Bible. Basically a tithe of the Bible. And that's what we focus on here. So to pick up where we left off, see we're um getting going the book of luke and this is the passage that stood out to me there um there's no red letters yet because jesus hasn't officially begun his ministry ish no words of it anyway but this is what stood out to me um about him starting his ministry now jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age being as was supposed the son of joseph the son of heli and then it goes on to go um with joseph's uh genealogy there who is jesus's adoptive parent if you want to think of him that way um so that's the lineage laid out there although some preachers will um, change this and say that the as was supposed is actually a reference to in-laws and we went over how that's not true at all because throughout the Bible with us even in the gospel you can see where in-laws are referred to again and again so if the narrator or God if you believe this is inspired by God or if even the one who's writing geneal genealogy wanted us to wanted it to read in-laws it would say in-laws it doesn't say in-laws it says as was supposed meaning this is who they supposed him to be because he was in the position joseph was in the position of head of household man of the house however you want to think of it so of course people would assume that's his son and that's what the as was supposed means not in-laws so that's what stood out to me with the last reading we're going to pick up now in luke chapter 4 and i think we do get into some red letters here if you want to read along with me and see yes it does okay so we're gonna be with Luke chapter 4 um, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted by for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing and afterward when it, they had ended he was hungry so we're at this place in our uh, Monday readings where um, Jesus goes through what's called the temptation basically he's in a wilderness it doesn't say the desert it says a wilderness and that could mean many things as we went over in our last reading which if you want to check those out by the way you can check out the collections area here on twitch of 
my channel and you can see where we went over these different ones but I believe the wilderness is something altogether different since humans generally as far as science says can't go 40 days without any or eating or drinking anything at all particularly in a desert so I don't think it's a desert and I don't think that's the odyssey that it's being that's being uh, described here especially when it tells us it's the spirit that led him there and we have stories in the old testament of say the prophets for instance being whisked away by the spirit to different places and it seems clear that it's their best way of describing some sort of transporting um um maybe even with some sort of portal or device or something to describe moving from here to another place without with the best way they could and there's stories like that in the old testament like of elijah for instance um not just when he's whisked away um uh, in the flying chariot that story but also when he's moving as it says by the spirit um through the wilderness also there since now that i think about it um on his mission and in his prophecies and also in fleeing from governmental authorities that didn't like his message um so anyway this is the 40 days and there's um and in those days he ate nothing afterward when they had ended he was hungry well obviously if you go i if i go a few hours without, e without eating i get extremely hangry hungry so i can imagine 40 days and like i said i don't believe it's necessarily a 40 days you can see it in our last reading um the same six section and the devil said to him if you're the son of god command this stone to become bread um so this is this is sort of the devil taking jesus on a tour of temptations and this first one he starts with is a temptation of the flesh physical needs you know food water and shelter the basic human needs so he knows that he's going on this fast or at least is in this wilderness without eating and drinking so the first thing he tempts him with is his human side um with food but jesus answered him saying it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of god so jesus combats his spiritual temptation using physical means with a spiritual answer of what um their holy book the old testament um it's not called that again it's called different things but the torah the old testament that what it says there that's what jesus is referring to um about man shall not live by bread alone um i believe that's in genesis maybe with um or maybe exodus might be exodus with moses and um the exodus of the israelites from slavery in africa like the africans who had to exit slavery here in the united states also 400 years so maybe it's about time justice heads this way like it did for them after 400 years then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him so this is the devil now he hears how jesus responded to the first temptation by shutting it down with an answer a spiritual answer so then he comes at him with the second type of temptation and the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the devil said to him all this authority i'll give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and i give it to whomever i wish so before we keep going the second temptation is more of an um the first one was a physical one with food this one is more of an ego one so i guess it'd be more a psychological temptation to 
flex and show just how great your power is. That's what the devil is tempting him with, with the second temptation, it seems to me. And he's also something not to, to not read over. Is somehow he's able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So that makes it seem like somehow, like with a device or something, some sort of means, divination, however he's able to do it, he has the means to show Jesus um, time. Sometimes in the past, sometimes in the future, in a moment of time. So it lets us know not right then, but say maybe letting him know, showing him Wall Street and thousands of years later, and show, or maybe showing him even further in the future than that, letting him know, I can give you all of this because all of it's mine. Somehow he has the ability to do that, that moment of time. So just not to read over that. And he's letting him know he has all that authority. And now whether that's true or not, because it is the devil, probably not true. But it's what he's using to tempt Jesus, letting him know, I can give you authority and I can give you all these kingdoms of the world. The ones that have been, the ones that are, and the ones that will be. Um, and he's saying because he has authority all over all of them. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. So that's the devil's temptation the second time. He's saying, go ahead and flex and show me how powerful you are, that you really are the son of God. And then in exchange for that, now that I know your power, then I'll give you all the world, whatever you desire in the world. Um, just do it if you just worship him. So that's a deal with the devil being offered to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So um, here Jesus replies with um, anger, or at least exclamation, um, at the thought of, You're, You want me to show, it seems to me, he's saying, You want, to show, want me to show you that I'm the Son of God, so that you'll accept that. But then when you accept it, you want me to serve you. So that doesn't even make sense why he would even do that. It's a shady deal. But um, so Jesus is telling him away with you, basically. Um, but I don't think that's the end. Let's see. Then he brought him to Jerusalem. So now you see it's something divine, some sort of odyssey going on, because not only has he been able to show him periods of time somehow, like with a device or something, somehow able to do it crystal ball I don't know he's able to do it somehow and show him but now he's also able to transport him physically because uh, it says he brought him to Jerusalem and again that reminds me of the Old Testament where it says uh, in some cases the spirit would carry the um, prophet off to places or rescue them from somewhere or drop them off someplace and um, so it lets us know there's some sort of actual physical transport going on how I don't know um, so then he's brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So now you see the second temptation here is basically, again, to say, Well, if you are the Son of God, just show me just how powerful you are. Just go ahead and act crazy, act the fool, like we'd be saying now, oh, God will save you, walk around without a mask on, walk around without socially distancing, God will save you, like how the churches were doing here, that foolishness is what it is, and it's the same thing that the devil is trying Jesus with, saying, well, go ahead and act the fool, jump off this cliff, God's with you, he'll save you, 
that makes no sense at all. Why would God need to micromanage you to keep from doing something stupid? Any more than God would need to order you to go kill somebody for him, whether it's the death penalty or in war. If God's almighty, what does he need you to fight his battle for him for? If you really believe he's almighty, and I believe he is, um, but people still make excuses to do those things, and it actually has nothing to do with what God's will is. But so now you hear, have here the angels, uh, well, the angels, you have the angel, the devil, saying, um, "Go ahead and do this. Jump off this uh, building. The angels will keep you." And they, and the, the thing to not overread it, not to read over is the devil's now learned from Jesus just that quick. He says, okay, I tempted him with something physical, and he came back at me with scripture. So I tempted him with something psychological to flex and his ego to say, hey, I'm the son of God, and I got all this power. I can do what I want. He says, and that didn't work, and he came back with him with a get away from me, away with you, um, and more scripture to say you're supposed to worship God. And now you, he's saying this third time, he's like, well, this time I'll use scripture and tempt him with that and tell him, go ahead and act crazy because the scripture says the angels got you. So don't worry about it. Go ahead and walk around without a mask because God's got you. Go ahead and act the fool. Don't wash your hands. God's got you. Go ahead and do that dumb stuff is what the devil is saying then. And it's the same thing that gets repeated now with the coronavirus, just for an example. But it's not the first or the second time. It was We've gone over that before also, like in the 80s, and I remember the 80s, I was just a kid, but I remember the 80s when HIV broke out and was killing people left and right, and the exact same foolishness happened then. You had the right-wing right wing nuts who claim to be godly, willing to let people die because of the way they feel like people got it, got the disease, they deserved it until it touched them. And now you have the same thing happening now with coronavirus, the same uppity, ignorant, selfish, hypocritical people, not willing to help people until it touches them, until a virus touches them, or until someone they know dies from it. And they're so ignorant, they'll listen to someone who told them was a hoax, and then he caught the hoax, and his own family member has passed away, possibly from the hoax. People around him have gotten sick from the hoax, and those people will still cheer and chant like fools without masks on at the hoax that got their leader sick. It's madness, but it's nothing new. You see the devil attempts to do the same thing by saying, go ahead and act the fool. You believe in God. God's got your back. You're the son of God. He, he's got you. Act stupid and he'll, he'll protect you. Don't worry. The angels are around you. It's, it's, it's madness. But let's see how Jesus responds to it. Uh, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So apparently that's what a lot of preachers now forget when they tell people, Go ahead and show up at church with no mask on. Go ahead and flock together for a rally over someone who doesn't uh, give two hoots about you. Because if you really think about any of the policies, how have his policies, has the wall been built? No. Did Mexico pay for it? No. Do you have health care that's better and cheaper and everyone has it, like he said? No. Uh, has he released his tax records? No. Has he done any of those things? No. And yet you have people still out there chanting like fools, without masks on, protesting over someone who's admitted to lying to them. But it's it's madness. But you have the same thing here. Jesus has to bring him back and let him know it's written you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So you can act a fool if you want to, but don't think that God's going to be the one to rescue from rescue you from that. 
he tells you right there, you're not supposed to tempt the Lord. You're not supposed to say, Lord, prove yourself to me. I'm going to act stupid and you're going to you're going to have my back because the Bible says the angels are all around me. Believe that if you want to. And just thinking of the angels, it's not what Jesus said, but thinking of the angels and thinking of what Jesus did say, he tells us very plainly, when you pray, you're supposed to go into a secret place. But you see how, see here now how these, the president's own spiritual guru is on camera acting crazy, summoning demons, she calls them angels, summoning demons from all around the world to supposedly help in our cause when Jesus, if you're a Christian, you know Jesus says you're not supposed to pray like that. You're supposed to pray privately. And he certainly didn't say anything about all of that nonsense. And since it didn't work, then who were you who was she actually calling on? Who are you actually serving? Who is it you're actually worshiping? Who is it you're actually listening to? And who's following you? It's crazy. Uh, now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So now the devil's like, okay, he's got me. He got him one, two, three times, but he's like, but the devil also knows in the grand scheme of things, clearly he knows there's a prophecy that a savior, a Messiah is supposed to come and he's supposed to do all these different miracles. But he also knows that at some point he's supposed to hang on a cross. So the devil may be just trying to figure out, is this the one that I'm supposed to be looking for that I've been waiting on? And now that I think about it, I remember on our Saturday night, Sunday morning readings, you can see there a conversation that it says is between the devil when he realizes that that's Jesus as he's ushering him to death to another place. And it's a whole other conversation. But if you want to check that out, it's also in the collections here on Twitch. Um, let's see. So the devil leaves him alone. He's like, okay, he's got me beat right now, but I know there's a time to come and we'll meet again because the devil knows the prophecies and the books the scriptures more than people actually do sometimes that's how uh, that's how come they do things like calling on demons in public and saying that that's christianity and for whatever reason the camera's zapped out sorry about that i don't know why but i'll just keep reading because it's about the message not the messenger so then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So um, this lets us know that people are recognizing who Jesus is and listening to it. Um, and then you notice there about the power of the Spirit. That just goes back to what I was saying, how in the Old Testament it talks about the Spirit somehow transporting people, the prophets specifically, generally. Um, from place to place physically somehow so he came to the Nat so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read it'd be like going to Sunday school basically and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found a place where it was written so now Jesus is in what we call church but in the synagogue the temple um, there among the uh, religious leaders and he stood up to read a passage from the Old Testament what we call the Old Testament it's what they call the Torah or the Septuagint or one of the books of the Old Testament as we know it um, and he stood up to find read this passage the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. So before we move on, since that's a verse there, he's referring back to, um, oh, I 
slips my mind now. Uh, but it's an Old Testament prophecy. I guess we could search it real quick. Um, yeah, it said in Isaiah. That's right. I don't need to search it. It's in, in the book of Isaiah. But um, And again, if you want to search something, you can use the search bar here. Um, search function there. And it'll pull up anywhere such as um, in-laws in the Bible where that comes up. And you'll see that it, as was supposed was in meant doesn't mean in-laws at all because they knew how to say in-laws just as an example but here you can also search and see where this passage comes from from the book of Isaiah where it it apparently is saying Isaiah in that book had a prophecy he had a vision of a moment of a time in the future that's what prophecies are of when Jesus the Messiah they were looking forward to coming would actually appear on earth and he had an entire vision of the whole thing and there's different uh, passages throughout the book um, not only the things he do but also the fate he'd suffer as far as the being being um, all of that and, and basically illusion are in the book of Isaiah from somehow a vision a prophecy he had then Reflecting on, and he's trying to tell them that that prophecy they've studied in their in their religion is pointing to him to proclaim the acceptable year of. He's saying the, the he's letting them know this. Well, he's going to say it even, but um, he's saying that that's what his mission is. His mission is to fulfill that prophecy of recovering sight to the blind, healing the brokenhearted. Thank God for me and people like me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the way he does that is in giving us the truth. And because and that's very important if you're a believer because growing up, I certainly thought it was true that if you're gay, you're going to hell. And then it turns out, well, the Bible doesn't actually say that. And then it turns out, well, the Bible does say things about uh, being gay, being wrong. And then that's in the Old Testament. But then it turns out, Jesus didn't say that at all. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to buy, go by what Jesus says. And I found in Luke 17, 34, it's like the only place in the Bible, the most undertaught uh, passage in the entire Bible, about where Jesus lets, makes it clear that same-sex relationships, same-sex relations, same-sex sex is not going to bar you from heaven. He says even there about how in the last days, when he comes again, there'll be two men in one bed. So how in the world, could, and one will be taken and one will be left. So how in the world could it possibly be a death sentence or an instant condemnation just to be gay? Just as an example of oppression through religion that can lead people down the wrong way. And the mission Jesus came on to set us free from that oppression by hearing what he actually has to say and choosing, because it's a free will choice to follow him, or to keep following the confusion or whatever religion it is you want to believe, or not religion at all, whatever your heart leads you to believe, a choice. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began, so <laughs> you can imagine this, they've heard him read this passage and they're wondering, okay, why did he choose that passage? And, and so they're all just sort of watching him to see what he says. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So you can imagine that would upset a lot of people because it's, it'd be like saying, um, oh, this Bible verse points to me. It'd be like if how people have tried to pin different Bible verses pointing to 
different presidents, not just this one, but different presidents throughout the years when they tried to say Obama was the Antichrist, for instance, and that kind of nonsense. And Obama's coming on, and yet the same people who believed it, who believed there were weapons of mass destruction, who believed there's voter fraud that he complained about for four years but didn't do anything to prevent, and it turns out there wasn't actually any evidence of any of it, especially on the left, but they still believe it. And the same people who believe basically anything that they choose to that the person they choose tells them to. It's it's madness, but it's not just with them. It's with churches also. It's with families. It's with religion. It's with lots of things. People rather just believe what they hear rather than do any research at all to see if what they heard is even true. So he's telling them this scripture that you study is coming true today. He's saying it's being fulfilled right now in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which preceded out of his mouth and they said is this not joseph's son so this lets you know they've heard what he has to say and instantly they're rejecting it and the first instinct of what people do is to remember where you, what you used to be to remember who they knew you as and not accept anything else so uh, i've told you before like being trans there are people in the world who don't know but there will always be people who do whether they're my family members or whether they were uh former employers or whatever the case they may know for whatever reason even if they were just the ones there through a surgery or whatever there will always be people who know and people who don't know but um some people will only always remember you as they knew you no matter how much you change on the outside and but it's not just true trans people black people know this for sure um no matter how educated or articulate or successful or rich you become some people will always only see you for your skin color. White people know this also. Because no matter how cool you may become. Or how hard your times may be. Or how much privilege you may have missed out on. Even though they were there for you. Some people will only always see your skin color. And assume things about you. And thank God. all None of those things are true about any of those groups universally. Because if nothing else. This president has shown us. That a certain amount of people basically half of our white brothers and sisters are totally okay with his racism and it's blatant because he put C's on app he's been accused of putting C's on applications of people applying for housing to let people know they're colored that lets you know how old and how long that racism goes back so that they couldn't get a place to say they're okay with that they're okay with the racism they're okay with the corruption of having continue to make money money him and his family and his cabinet they're okay with all the arrests of his cap of his different uh people surrounding him they're okay with the convictions they're okay with all of that stuff they're okay with the emoluments all because he's a certain skin color so for some people it it, it go it cuts both ways some people only see your skin color and let you get away with anything and then some people will also only see your skin color and put their knee on your neck for doing nothing and both exist right now in this world and in this country, like right now, it's crazy, but it's nothing new. But this is what they're doing to Jesus. They're saying, okay, he's just preached this message to us. He's not done anything wrong. But the first thing they do is reflect back to who they knew him as. Joseph's son, the son of the carpenter. So they, that's what people do. He says to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard done in 
Capernaum do also here in our in your country. So Jesus here is giving the first prophecy of his ministry, the first one that comes to my mind, of his ministry, but it's the first prophecy of what his last words, some of his last words would be. Because this is the same thing that they're going to be saying to the, the saying to him and about him as he hangs on the cross. They're going to be saying, Well, you've done all those things for all those other people, why don't you save yourself? And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So he's letting them know again. They call themselves dressing him down, saying that, Oh, we know where you came from. You're the carpenter's son, Joseph's son, from this uh, area around the corner. So he's letting them know, I don't expect you to accept me because you do know me from the, those days. And he's letting, letting us know, I think, that don't expect everyone to accept you. Especially if you're going to do, as he says, and carrying the message forward. In fact, the people who know you or think they know you or knew you first are not going to accept you. He's saying, and then, and another way of this, this has been turned into another saying, um, you can never go home again. And they've even made a song about it, who says you can never go home again. Jesus is the one who says you can never go home again. And this is what it's saying, basically. It's not saying you can't go, but that you won't be accepted there. And he's saying specifically with ministering, there are some people who just won't see you as that. They'll always see you as uh, whatever it is they knew you as. Whether it's, in my case, knew me as male, or if they knew you as a drug dealer, or if they knew you as a wife beater, or if they knew you as a street walker, or if they knew you as whatever they knew you as before you've come to where you are now, that's what some people are always going to remember you as. And that's what Jesus is saying here. They even did it to him. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. So Jesus is reflecting back here on an Old Testament passage. Also a narrative, a story where um, there was a widow and she, you know, there was a famine on the land and didn't have um, basically a shortage of food and a shortage of water, a drought. That sort of situation when you think of a famine. and But there is a widow who received a divine intervention through an Old Testament prophet, the one Elijah, who we were just talking about, who's carried away in the UFO in the Old Testament. Uh, and again, you can read it yourself. It's in there in the Bible. But that's the Elijah Jesus is referring to here. And he's he's that same Elijah did different miracles a lot like Jesus did. Not nearly as many, at least documented. But they're in the Old Testament similar um, stories. And Jesus is saying, when that same Elijah walked earth, there was a famine. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So Jesus is saying here, in a subtle way, although these people here are call themselves devout and holy and religious and Abraham's children and thinking the promise is to them, and I speak, I'm speaking about the ones who are walking then, not any group in general as a whole, but the ones specifically then who were experiencing Jesus as he walked earth. He's saying to them, they're relying on the fact of their genealogy and their lineage to think that that's going to be their way into heaven. But he's letting them know, just like when Elijah walked earth, the person who got the miracle was a foreigner. And many, and that's what who Zarephath was, she wasn't of, the, of their, um, their um, house, she was a foreigner. 
And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus gives a second example of what his ministry, I believe, what he's, what his ministry is going to be. His ministry is going to reach way beyond those who were supposed to be looking for it to the entire world, being open to anyone who's willing to accept it, whomsoever will. And the fact that here's the second example, Elisha, who is basically the... Um, an apprentice to Elijah, the one who was carried away in the UFO. Elisha basically picked up his ministry from then on, and according to the Old Testament, God worked the God, one of the gods in the Old Testament worked miracles also through him. And um, so that's the Elisha that is referring to. And similarly, the Syrian, Naaman, was someone who was experiencing leprosy, just like we read about Jesus healing people of it. Um, um, he healed him also and um that person again was a foreigner he wasn't one who they would think were entitled to the promise and the experience um of miracles and stuff it was someone who didn't walk in their religion at all excuse me so all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out so now you see they're not pleased with what he said they want to kill him thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff then passing through the midst of them he went his way so somehow probably a divine intervention Jesus was rescued from their hands but you see very clearly what they had in their heart was to get rid of him right then to kill him um, they were going to throw him over a cliff. So this tells us a couple of things. But without saying it, it lets us know that they, um, the religious people, what's in their heart, for one, is um, killing him. But then also lets us know they, they went through the process of making sure the Romans, the Italians, killed Jesus on the cross with the crucifix, crucifixion. When that was not necessary, because uh, you can read in the Old Testament where they would stone people if they felt like they blasphemed, or here they were willing to throw them off the off a off the off of a cliff. So that lets you know if they wanted to, if they really wanted to, they had no problem with taking people's lives in their own hands and death penalty and all of that. But because of prophecies and things, it had to unfold the way it did with the crucifixion which only the romans well not only the romans but the romans were doing at that time not the hebrews not the people who crucified him um then he went down to capernaum the city of galilee and was teaching them on the sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice so before we keep moving this lets us know um this deep there's demon possession apparently here what the um um is what jesus is about to experience now someone who needs an exorcism is um what's happening let's see um, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, and I'm not going to read that part out loud because like I've said before, there's Jesus himself says, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. So there's power in your words. So you can read it without saying it, but it's letting you know the demons are saying, asking, telling Jesus, begging Jesus to leave them alone. And they're saying, what have they to do with Jesus? And you can see why you would not want to say that. Uh, if you're a believer, did you come to destroy us? They're asking, is Jesus 
So they also now, even more so than Satan, it seems, when he was doing the temptations in the wilderness, it seems even the demons somehow are able to recognize right off uh, Jesus' divinity and his role in the whole big picture of everything. And it doesn't ever really explain how they know that or why they know that, except that it has to be from some sort of spiritual um, realm that both have interacted in at some point before then. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So see, it lets us know the demons recognize who Jesus is, even though the devil himself didn't just now, unless the devil was just trying to get Jesus to show some sort of weakness and ruin the mission that way somehow. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. So Jesus could have um, said, Amen. You're right. I am the Son of God. Yeah, I have come to torment you. Yeah, I have come to toss you out. He could have did all of those things, but instead Jesus shuts him down and tells him to be quiet. And I think the reason is because... And they'll, they'll probably do it here, but we've read in the in the Gospels where when he does these exorcisms, uh, he usually gets accused of using demonics and um, that sort of black magic sort of thing, and that that's how he's doing it. So maybe in shutting the demons down, he doesn't want them to um, want the people who are hearing it to get the wrong impression that somehow they're working together. Which I could imagine if you see like these televangelists hitting people in the head and they fall over and uh, or, and or suddenly they're able to walk, you instantly I would think well they must be working together. So similarly, Jesus shuts it down I think so that that sort of stuff doesn't spread. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, "What a word this is." For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and a report about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. Um, so, he's gone viral, as we'd say now. Now, he rose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house, but Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So, he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she arose and served them. So now Jesus is sort of on a roll. He's gone from uh, the exorcism, well he's gone from the wilderness and the temptation there. He's had an attempt on his life when they tried to throw him over the cliff. Then he's had the exorcism. He had his first sermon there in the church before they tried to, or synagogue before the temple before they tried to kill him. And now he's moved on to a healing. And it's Simon, that's Simon Peter, the fisherman, one of the disciples, uh, who apparently is married and his mother-in-law is sick and got a healing, just like that. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus is on a circuit, it seems, doing these healings and these exorcisms and moving around, along rescuing people in need. How we wish we could get that now. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So again, I think it's um, shutting them down so that people who hear it don't get the wrong impression. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, 
I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. So let's so, so, so know that Jesus is on a mission, and he's not being distracted by the fame. He's not being distracted by the likes, the clicks, or the lack thereof. He's focused on his mission, and he knows what that is. And he knows also that everyone who is a fan is not actually a fan. Those people are all hanging around, some because they are faithful, some are hanging around because they hear his words, some are hanging around to see the miracles, and some are just hanging around to see where it all go. Not all of the people who are following him are believers, just like all the people who say they're Christians are not necessarily Christians at all. It may truly just be in name only, and it's because they think that'll be enough. And hey, maybe it will be. From everything Jesus says, it won't be, but maybe their hope that it will be will be enough. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So, and that's the end of the reading. So, um, Jesus let him know, I have a mission to do. I have to keep it moving. I can't stay here. I think this is sort of like when, after he resurrected, and um, and Mary, I think it was, they clung to him and he said, Don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. I think that's what he's, uh, some preachers will twist that to say, Hey, don't hold me up. Uh, I, I don't make me late. That makes no sense. Why would the Lord, who's Lord of all, be in a hurry? Or why would anything be on anyone else's timeline but his? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think it's just like he's saying here that um, it's a certain timeline to everything and that he has to be on that mission. And similarly, what he was saying there was that now's not the time to cling to me. Now's not the time to cling to the hope. The time to cling to it is once I ascend back to heaven to my father is what he was saying there. And what I think he's saying here is don't cling to me in that sense just because you've seen the miracles and because I'm here with you now cling to what it is he's trying to tell you because that's the message he's got to spread and keep moving in doing so and that actually ends this reading i appreciate you checking it out with me i hope it was a blessing for you and i hope you'll join me again i'm going to end this re um this one here now for indexing like usual and pick up in a moment with the book of john since it's um john luke wednesday's chapter four where we left off there um and um that's Wednesday. So yeah, and then there's Saturday night where we'll pick up in the Gospel of Nicodemus. We're reading there just after midnight, Sunday morning. Um, and then we have our Matt and Mark Mondays if you're interested in checking out the readings of those Gospels on Mondays. And like I said, you can always check out the collections and see past readings by topic, um, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but also label by topic as best I could there. In the meantime, Take care of yourself, love your neighbor, wash your hands, wear your mask, and stay safe. God bless you. Thanks again. Peace.